I want you to imagine something as we're passing these pretzels out to everyone else. I want you to imagine that you're having a backyard barbecue. You've invited a bunch of close friends over. You're really excited about it because you made a lot of preparations. But you have a little twist to the evening that you want to present. So you're not sure how they're going to respond, but you want to, you want to make a point. And so you've invited them over. They're expecting all the best. You know, there's going to be steak and baked potatoes. There's going to be corn on the cob. There's going to be all these things, you know, iced tea, all the things that they expect, a really nice barbecue. Somebody let me have one of those, if you will, please. Joe, let me have one. Thank you. Have you all got some now? Anybody want another one? <laughs> Not quite yet? Okay. So, it's daylight when you started cooking everything, and the guests have arrived, and you're cooking all this thing. Uh, but by the time it gets done, you're having such trouble with uh, preparations, it starts getting dark, and you don't have any way to light things outside. So you bring everybody in. you got all this wonderful food, and uh, you get everybody seated around the dining room table, and uh, you turn on the lights. Everybody's sitting there enjoying it. They look, man, they get this beautiful steak in front of them. You get this nice big baked potato and corn on the cob. And then as you begin, somebody says, please pass the salt. And that's when you have to let the hammer drop. You say, oh, there is no salt. Uh, we're not going to put any salt on things tonight. In fact, I haven't used any salt on anything I've prepared tonight. I left the salt in the cabinet. This is a salt-free meal, you explain to them. And they're looking at this wonderful food, but wondering, well, how is it going to taste? What's it going to be like? And the interest level in your dinner suddenly plummets. <laughs> your guests are still hungry, so after you've said the blessing, someone takes a bland bite of corn on the cob. Someone else starts chewing on a tasteless hunk of meat. Not even anyone in the crowd bothers with the potato because they know what that's going to be like. If there's no salt, why bother? And then to make matters worse, the electricity goes out at that precise moment. Of course, you got somebody in the garage by the circuit box that does this. Your guests are still hungry and uh, they can't see the table, they can't see the food, but they don't really care because the bite they've had so far says, I really don't want any more. I'm done. And that's when you begin to explain what a saltless meal is about. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? No, not really. <laughs> doesn't sound like a very good meal at all. Do you think your friends will look forward to your next dinner invitation? Probably not. They probably pass. Thank you very much. We've got something else to do that night. And this story brings us to why we've handed out these pretzels this morning. Notice these pretzels are the unsalted variety. Go ahead and eat yours. Well, I gave them to you because Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. Something is definitely missing here, folks. Now, if I had some good honey mustard or something, this would work, wouldn't it? Does anybody like this? Oh, you people are strange. What is a pretzel without the salt? This is what... And if you had salt on it, you'd want even more of this, wouldn't you? Now, most of you don't have a drink, and that's by, by design. I want you to be thirsty. <laughs> I want you to be thinking what it is like. Because I want us to focus on text this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. 
It's a text you know, but maybe you never thought of it the way we want to think about it this morning. Maybe you really thought it through, what Jesus was saying here. And I'd like you to just follow along. It's on the screen. We're all going to say it together. Would you say it out loud with me? Let's read these famous words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 13. Here we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Good, thank you. So Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Now that may be a surprise to you, but it's the fact. If you're a follower of Christ, he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Now why did Jesus use these metaphors? Do they make sense? And what was the main point he's trying to make by using them? Jesus was saying that if you are truly my disciples, then if you are truly salt, you will be salt influencing and even changing the world around you. If you are truly my disciples, you will be like light, shining into the darkness of this world, giving light to people around you so that they can see the truth, and maybe even God himself. Now, if you know anything about physical sciences, you may be confused by Jesus' statement, if the salt loses its saltiness... Because that seems to be an impossibility, doesn't it? Uh, can salt really lose its saltiness? I mean, it, it wouldn't even be salt anymore, would it? <laughs> if it's salt, it's salty. It, it is evident within itself, this flavor, this taste. Well, if the salt that we're speaking about is sodium chloride, what we call common table salt, the answer is no. You can't really lose its saltiness. It just is. It, it is what it is. Sodium chloride is salty by nature. However... There is more to the story. Jesus has more to the story. And so people tried to figure out what it is. First of all, people thought, well, maybe, maybe if he's talking about salt that gets immersed in water, or salt that gets diluted and dissolved so much so that the original compound, the chemical compound, dissolves in water and it recrystallizes as, as something else with other elements in that water. If this happens, the resulting compound Maybe something other than sodium chloride. That may be what he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about a science experiment or anything like that. So let's put that one aside. The second thing people have said was, well, the salt in Jesus' day isn't like the salt in our day. And this might be a valid explanation because, you know, we have something that's created in a way that's very pure uh, and it's consistent throughout. The compound that's, that's in our table salt is pure salt. It's true salt. But in Jesus' day, they would go and kind of kind of harvest this salt. They would go and gather this salt. Places like the Dead Sea. The Salt Sea. If you want to find out more about that, talk to Jerry Threed. He's just been there on a, on a trip with his, his job. He floated in the Salt Sea. And, and around this were the deposits where things had dried, the water had dried, left behind these things. And sometimes they would harvest that, they would collect it, and they would use that. But in that it wasn't a very pure system. There were a lot of impurities there. And along with the salt, they would get other things. 
things like uh, boron and magnesium and bromides. None of them taste very good. And if someone was, was using salt from this place in this location, like Jesus would be familiar with, it is entirely possible that the true salt would dissolve away and only leave behind these terrible, yucky things. And even in normal activity of cooking and so on, you could end up with a pretty distasteful thing. In fact, uh, I read a report from a Mr. Mandrill at a site called Evidence for Christianity who said that he found salt in the Dead Sea, went after it, and he went to studying this, and he tried to explore everything he could, and he found right there salt that was so impure uh, that it, it couldn't be used for anything. <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be used for flavoring. And in fact, it was, was negative. It was worse than good for nothing. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a bad thing. It destroyed life rather than gave life. And he wrote, he said, so troublesome is this corrupted salt that if it is carefully swept up, carried forth, and thrown into the street. There is no place for it in the house or the yard or the garden where it could be tolerated. No man will allow it to be thrown out into his field. It would kill whatever crops were there. It would kill potential for that. And the only place for it is the street, and therefore it is cast there to be trodden underfoot of men, is what he said. So if Jesus is using this, he's saying, think about the salt that we have. And, you know, he wouldn't compare it to us. He'd just say, think of salt. It could lose its saltiness, its flavor, because of the impurities with it. And if this is the point that he's making, then we could say, well, as Christians, how pure are we? How many other things do we have in with the salt? No wonder we're no more, uh, no more effective, no more powerful in our witness than that, because right alongside the salt compounded with it is all these other impurities. You could make a great sermon from that, couldn't you? Because we have a lot of that mixing of things today in our Christianity, and so the power is robbed. The power is diluted. Power is lost. But I'm still not convinced that's what Jesus was saying. I'm still not convinced that either of these explanations say why he said, if the salt has lost its saltiness. Let's just take this passage at face value. Read it simply. Read it in a straightforward manner. Jesus said, Salt that is tasteless is worthless. Light that is covered isn't light. It's darkness. He's just saying in a kind of a rhetorical way. He's saying, can you imagine salt that's unsalty? Can you imagine light that is darkness? It, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And he's saying, imagine that if, if you were salt and there was no saltiness, guess what? You're not salt. And if you're light and there's no light being shown from your life, guess what? You're not light. Because if you are salt, if you are light, then the reality is there as well. If that salt is not salt at all, then you might as well throw it out. If that light is not light at all, you might as well blow it out. Because it will do nothing for the kingdom of God. Salt and light are agents of change. Their very purpose is to influence and to change whatever they're around, whatever they're next to. If you put salt on a piece of meat, it brings out the flavor of the meat. If you put salt on a pretzel, well, it tastes a lot better than these things. The salt makes a difference. It makes the taste 
come alive. If you turn the lights on in a dark room, you make it possible to see whatever's in that room. And it could be just the smallest candle, and it would make all the difference in the world. Light influences. Light changes the darkness wherever it goes. Salt that has no saltiness is worthless. It can, can't change anything. In fact, it has become something negative, something unhealthy. It becomes something that damages whatever it touches. It's like the salt that conquering armies used to do. You know, they would defeat a city or defeat a nation, and afterwards they wanted to leave them in ruins. So one of the things they did was they took this bad salt and they scattered it all over their fields so that the next few years they had no chance of growing crops there. They left them destitute, not only for today, but for years into the future by damaging their fields. You take a light, take a bulb, take a, a lamp, and you blanket it. It's just as ridiculous a picture or metaphor, isn't it? Imagine taking a perfectly good lamp and shrouding it with a heavy blanket. Its purpose would be ruined. It would be negated. Now, a few years ago, Jane and I went down to Williamsburg. Uh, we went there with my parents and my siblings and, and their, their spouses. There were eight of us. And we went down to Williamsburg to celebrate my parents' 60th wedding anniversary. It was July. It was super, super hot. It was, it was miserable. It was over 100 degrees each day we were there. So it was, it was awful. But one of the things we determined to do is we wanted to go out to James River, just east of Williamsburg, to the Carter Grove Plantation. And have you ever go out there before? A beautiful plantation. Carter family, King Carter, if you know anything about American history, his whole family and stuff had developed this land and built this beautiful plantation out there. And they had this beautiful house to see. So as we're touring that, we're interested to find out that on that date, that year, they were celebrating an anniversary of World War II. And so they had outfitted the house as it was in World War II. They had set up furnishings. They set up all the decorations. They even had actors playing Franklin and Delano Roosevelt in the house. And while you're walking through one of the rooms like a study, Franklin's on the phone talking war, you know, back, back in Washington, D.C. It was really, really fun. And I remember when we got upstairs, they said, you know, we're here on the James River. Very big, wide river at this point, not far from, from the bay and the ocean and everything. And during World War II, they required that everybody put these black shades on their windows. Anyone ever hear that before? And the reason was that they were concerned about German U-2 boats or subs or something coming up into the river, and they didn't want them to be able to see what was there. So everybody, at night, you darken your house by putting this black shade over your window. You could still have light inside. You could still live, get, be comfortable, you know, and do whatever you wanted to do. But they couldn't see into your house. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see that sometimes that this is a picture of many Christians today? That we enjoy Jesus, we enjoy the light of the world for ourselves, but we refuse to share him with the rest of the world? We have this, this wonderful light inside our homes and inside our, ourselves, our families, and yet we draw down these black shades because we're afraid of what might happen if the light really gets out there. Is it because we're scared? Is it because we're fearful for our own safety? Do our, our covered lights 
betray, that we have this mentality, some people call the fortress mentality. You know, our building can be that. Here's a church building. It's a fortress. It protects us from all these, these terrible people around us. It protects us from all these sinners. It protects us from, from all of the people that might do something bad to us, that would try to hurt us. And so we come inside and we enjoy the fellowship and we protect each other and we provide a safe and secure environment where that can happen. And it's the exact opposite of the image that Jesus has for his church, isn't it? Not a fortress, but a place where you get mobilized, a place where you get equipped, a place where you are sent out from so that the light can go into the world, so that the salt can go into the world, because salt and light do so many things good for God. Salt and light are agents of change, agents of healing, agents of salvation, agents of life. And as I wrote this sermon, I was, I was going to spin off uh, into the difference that Jesus can make in the lives of lost people when they meet him. But you probably already know that. You've already experienced that. I don't have to talk about the difference that Jesus can make in your life today's sermon. What I saw was this point that we need to drive home this morning. That if we are the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world, then we need to do our job. We need to be who we are. We need to be true to our calling. Because Jesus is saying, can you imagine salt that isn't salty? Can you imagine light that looks a whole lot like darkness? And the question is, no, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Why would somebody that is salt not be salty? Why would somebody that is light not shed that light into the lives of others? Some of us in this congregation have understood this. Some have embraced this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Some of the uh, people that have embraced that inspire me because they make me want to be a better evangelist myself. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to take up a collection for Mark and Evie Pratt. Uh, once you see a picture of them here. This is Mark and Evie in Cleveland. And this, their three boys, uh, many of you and David, but the other two you may not know. In fact, the third, the littlest guy, they just adopted this past year. So now they have three sons. So excited about their ministry. Four years ago, they went into Cleveland, into the inner city. But before that, backing up our history, they caught something. They, God caught them with something, I should put it that way. Evie was our children's minister for a couple of years. And Mark was a, a, a state patrolman right here in Virginia and, and uh, worked around 66 and down 95. And they did that for several years. Mark became a Christian here. A few years later, he became a deacon here. He was serving as a deacon. She was serving as children's minister. They helped with all the youth stuff. And all of a sudden, they came to us one day and they said, guess what? We feel called to do this full time. And Mark's going to quit his job. We're going to go down to seminary. We're going to study there for three years so that he can have an MDiv, a Master of Divinity degree. And then we're going to do wherever God leads us. We're not sure what that is yet. Our heart is for inner city work. Not sure what that means. They went down to seminary. They got involved in Johnson City, Tennessee, working in the, the homeless place there, uh, for the homeless, a shelter. Uh, they converted a hotel into really ratty place. Week after week, they went in there with their little son, David, and they ministered to people as volunteers. By the time he graduated, 
he had found out they wanted him to plant a church in Cleveland, Ohio. A city that had been decimated by the economy. Uh, a two million uh, population city is now 600,000 people. And many vacant houses, many destroyed or run down uh, churches, hundreds of churches that have closed their doors. So they're, they're doing an inner city work there, and we're going to help them. These are people that caught this vision. You are salt, you are light. There were people before them. We don't have time to go into them. Chuck and Karen Phillips, very similar story previous to that. Chuck was working a really good job at IBM. God called him to be a minister to, to Muslim people, specifically to the Tatar people in Crimea. They, they uh, pulled up roots, you know, and they, they went and prepared for that, and then they went to Crimea for a few years. Um, and now Chuck back preaching in the United States again. But God put this call on their heart to do that. There was a young man in our church named George Frank. Anybody remember George? George was a, a, a submarine guy with Lockheed Martin. Uh, did a lot of preparation for that, but suddenly God called him to ministry. He's now preaching in Ohio at a church. Others have gone on. Michael Briggs is an example of that. Just graduated from Liberty. He's now in Las Vegas working as a volunteer intern with the Grace City Church, preparing hopefully to get a job at a, a Christian school, but continue working as a volunteer with the church ministry that's going on. And, and there are others. Prosper and Victoria, Turkey, are, are in Ghana right now. We're ready to come home anytime. Any day we expect them to get back. And they were over there for him to work on his doctoral dissertation. And he'll be back, finishing that up, continuing to work his job for the next few years. She's preparing in medical field. But one day, it is on their heart from God that they're going to go back to Ghana, and they're going to help start new churches there. And they're going to make the church and the kingdom of God expand that place. Caleb and Monica, Sana are here. And, and a week from tomorrow, they're going to go for two weeks to Liberia, to his homeland. And they're going to look out uh, for two different churches there that they want to see how they're doing. They want to strengthen them and encourage them. And it's on their heart that someday after they get back and they prepare some more, that they're going to go to Liberia full time and they're going to continue making the kingdom of God expand there. And so it comes back to you and me. What about us? <laughs> how is the world tasting our salt and seeing our light that's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Opportunities are everywhere. We have opportunities in the immediate neighborhood, things going on with the, the Bible uh, clubs that we want to do, preparation for vacation Bible school. There's also the community picnic that we're doing in September, another block party, in, or I mean now in June, and a block party in September. Uh, there's the Cleveland collection we're already part of where you don't have to be on site yourself, but you can contribute to what God is doing. Um, I just want to ask, are we tasteless salt? Are we covered lights? If we are the real deal, then there will be a preserving, life-giving, enriching dimension to our lives and our influence. If we are not the real deal, then there won't. It's just that simple. If we are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, if we are truly devoted to Him, then we are salt and light. Notice Jesus did not say, if you're not salt or light. He said, you are. It's not what you're going to become. It's not going to, you're going to prepare to be salt or light. You are. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are. 
So if you're trying to stay close to Jesus, if you're trying to, to listen to his spirit every day, if you're reading his word on a daily basis, guess what? You don't have to worry about how you're going to get salty. You don't have to worry about how am I going to get some light inside of me because you already have it. And it's growing. And it's becoming more pronounced, more emphatic, more powerful. As you draw close to Christ, it's just going to start oozing out. It's going to start permeating everything and everyone around you. So just just be yourself. Be true to your calling. You are a Christ follower and that makes you an agent of change. That makes you an ambassador for Christ in this dark, tasteless world. And this room is full of salt and light right now. But the purpose of shining together is not to draw attention to ourselves so that people will know what a great church is over there at New Hope Christian Church. Our purpose is to draw attention to Jesus, the light of the world, our Savior and our Lord. And so we just need to let our light shine. We just need to get that salt out of the salt shaker. And when we go into our community, people will see how great our God is. And they will be drawn to Jesus Christ. Would we pray together, please? Father, you are convicting us today with these words from Scripture. We know that we're salt and light. But sometimes we have to look very closely to see the evidence to taste the evidence, to feel the evidence. We pray that we would each determine that there would be no impurities in our lives, there would be nothing to dilute or dissolve our saltiness, there would be no blanket covering our light, even if it means for our own safety or security. Father, I pray for boldness. I pray for truth. I pray for conviction. I pray for confidence in you. May you receive the glory. Through these people we've mentioned this morning and through us here in this room, help us to be salt and light. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.